Welcome to the Partners Financial Podcast, a podcast designed for you with insights from fellow members as well as NFP and Partners Financial experts. Hi, welcome to the Partners Financial Podcast. I'm Kristen Williams, and I'm really excited today because I have the two guys behind the Levine Intergenerational Split Dollar Case on the podcast with us. We have Jason Prather, who's the managing principal of Legacy Capital, um, was behind the life insurance side of the Levine case, and Shane Swanson, who was a partner with Stinson, and he actually drafted the documents. Levine is his client. So thank you both for joining me on the podcast today to talk about this case. Happy to be here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So let's just talk about how you guys know each other, how you've met, not living in the same city. So how did this sort of you come into partnership to work on this case? Um, I, I was an estate planner early in my practice, and I had a client who uh, was named as a personal representative of a friend of his in uh, Dallas who died. And I practice, I sit in Minneapolis, um, and even though I was licensed, I wasn't doing estate administration at the time in Dallas. And so uh, my law firm at the time was in an, uh, a law firm affiliate group with Kenny Hanger in Fort Worth. And I reached out to them and got connected with Jason, who could help me as local counsel for that estate. Yeah, and there, there's not enough time on this podcast to talk about that estate case. It was very <laughs> unique, but we've got to be pretty good friends. I think it was because it was such a quirky estate deal. Was that Shane and I just got to be pretty good friends about, you know, working through it. Was it monkeys? That was the one that had the little, the woman had the gorilla living in the house. And um, it was, was, it yeah, it was bizarre. <laughs> An actual gorilla. That yeah, you had she had a little pygmy gorillas living in the house. When I went in there and there's ropes hanging off the stairwell banister. This is a big house. Um, it was bizarre, but so I just have to ask, what ended up happening to the pygmy gorillas? I don't know. Um, this was the surviving spouse of the decedent. Has she was kind of quirky, obviously. Like she had a big, beautiful pool in the backyard that was full of geese and ducks. And... <laughs> so they went to live in a farm upstate, huh? I don't know. It was really bizarre. <laughs> so how did you go from the gorilla? estate to talking about an intergenerational split dollar? Well, I think, you know, when, when I left Kenny Hanger, you know, I, I, Shane and I had become friends from working on this case together. And I kind of explained to him what I was doing and we just kept in touch. And then Shane's got such a phenomenal practice when, when I kind of was exposed to the idea, I think I just reached out to Shane and shared it with him as an idea. Cause I know that we talked about the concept probably a year or two before we actually wound up doing it. You know, do you remember that? Yeah. You know, Jason, when he moved over to Legacy Capital Group, uh, the uh, contact, he just would reach out to me and and talk about insurance planning. Um, He knew that I was working with uh, wealthy clients that would have planning needs. And he wanted to share with me what he was learning as he was becoming more of an expert on the insurance side. And so he would share ideas from time to time and keep in touch on things. And this happened to come up. Um, it may have been uh, in 2006. And then in 2007, there was a circumstance that presented itself that 
made it seem like it would be a good fit um, for the Levine family. And what do you think, Jason, what do you think made intergenerational split dollar particularly a good fit for the Levine family? Well, I, I think it was the fact that there had been a tremendous amount of estate planning done up to that point. And there was not a lot of time left to do some additional planning, right? So we, we had a, we had a, a, and Shane knows far more about this than I do, but there was a limited amount of time remaining, we thought, in the, the, uh, in her, in her life expectancy, not enough time to do more efficient planning. We had a pretty big tax to pay based on what was still includable in our state. So this was something when I talked to Shane about it, it was kind of like, if you've done all these things and there's still more to do, this is an option that can be quite effective. And it's, 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 it worked, worked quite well. Um, but it was just really, that was, that was it. I think we were kind of out of options. We, you know, we've done a lot of stuff. What, um, Mrs. Levine hadn't actually hadn't done too terribly much in terms of estate planning. She had an insurance trust um, for a simple amount of money, um, maybe a million dollars. And she was working with another really talented estate planner in town that her children didn't like. And so they decided to move the file away from that lawyer and hired my firm to do the planning. And at the time, I was the associate supporting the file. I may have been an, uh, an income partner at the time. And so we dug into the case and we were looking at the circumstances and we had someone who was in her uh, mid to late 80s, um, hadn't done a tremendous amount of tax planning, um, but, she, but she came from a family of longevity. And we were looking at what our options were um, and we made a lot of planning decisions based on um, hedging. You know, we did some things that would to work if she lived a long time. We did some things that um, we thought were appropriate if she wasn't going to live a long time. Um, as we were doing that, you know, I looked at uh, the broader family picture, like I try to do, which is look at all of the um, family interests in the context of a shared business. And it became clear that both her, both of her children had taxable estates of their own. Um, and so that's when it clicked to me in, in, in the sense that, you know, um, both children had closely held real estate that would benefit from a basis adjustment if it was included in their estate. They, nobody had any liquidity um, in order to address what would be significant estate taxes at their death. And Mrs. Levine, who had been carrying um, paper for the organization, um, had excess capital. She had more money than she needed. And the uh, Mr. Levine, uh, Bob Levine, the son, had said, hey, I, I don't want my mom to be the lender on this anymore. We can get commercial financing for our operations. Uh, and I want to do something else with her excess capital from an investment perspective. So it sort of all came together. She had more cash than she needed. The family wanted to have an investment other than the continued concentration in the business. And both children had taxable estates that would benefit from having insurance on their lives to help their children pay their estate taxes. So, um, and it was also something where didn't matter how long Mrs. Levine died because it provided a, a long-term solution for the next generation. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And Jason, as we know, life insurance is the answer to all of the questions. So as you were looking to do life insurance for the Levine family, what sort of choices did you make in terms of how you designed the policy itself? 
Well, we had a couple of things. We, we, we decided to do uh, a survivorship policy on one side of the family. That was for, for a variety of different reasons. <clears throat> one, there was better insurable um, health on that side of the family. The other reason was <clears throat> because it was a split dollar, the economic benefit on a sur survivorship policy was very, very low. Uh, so it was very cost effective to do it that way. We 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 designed the policies too, thinking that we wanted to have a pretty nice cash value target out in, in the future at a certain time. And that was really done with on purpose in case there was a need to access that cash for for some reason, one or the other. If if the transaction didn't go as planned, or if we had a you know a, a, some some tax that was going to be owed. We had the ability to, to design the policy to hit to a certain cash number. It was never our intent to do that, but it was really kind of more of a safety measure to design and be very conservatively funded. Um, but really, it was those reasons. We insured one side of the family as opposed to two um, because there was an uninsurable uh, client on one side or not as healthy. And the economic benefit numbers were very low. So mm -hmm. it's very easy to do. He, um, the uh, also the 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 side of the family that was insured was older. There's a pretty big age gap, and so we believed that we would have mortality would fall in line. And the cash value, if I had had a client that was more familiar with both insurance and just general publicly traded investment, I might have dialed that back more. But I think they got this idea of comfort from a family perspective to, to see cash and to see growth on cash in the policy. Um, uh, but if you know the, the real goal, and the, it continues to be the case, was the insurance is going to be there to help pay the, the next generation's estate taxes. And in that case, you, we could probably dial back the cash position. Mm -hmm. Do you, when you were drafting the documents, Shane, did you have did you have any sort of special considerations or things that you added to the document that sort of bolstered your case or gave you kind of a belt and suspenders approach? Well, I mean, I would like to say that um, I was thoughtful from a technical perspective um, in terms of how it was drafted, um, but I think really it was driven more by practicality. Um, we. Uh, so some of the things that helped us, I think, in the ultimate decision were things that um, were reflective of where my clients were. Um, Bob Larson, who was the person who ultimately had the duties to the grandchildren and the children in the insurance trust, was the one person in this family that um, everybody trusted. Um, there's a lot of conflict between the two siblings. It was very interesting the 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 similarities in terms of interfamily conflict were very similar in the Morissette case as well as in the Levine case. And so, you know, what I was really driving at was to make sure that um, everybody needed to make sure that their investment in or their interest in the uh, insurance trust was protected. And that's how we got to the point where Larson was the one who um, was it was the person who controlled whether the policy would be surrendered and the split dollar would be uh, terminated. Okay. Um, beyond that, you know, from a technical perspective, I um, went through the regs really carefully, had a lot of support from Jason um, in terms of uh, resources or pointing me in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So 
Do you think it's the facts of this case that sort of make it unique and set it apart from some of the other cases that we saw recently decided? Well, I mean, the 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 where I make the contrast, I, I remember reading Morissette, which was um, uh, decided both both in summary judgment and at the tax court was decided before Levine was, even though our trial occurred before Morissette. And um, I remember thinking that uh, <clears throat> it was going to come down to, um, you know, whether there was a belief that the that this wasn't for the purposes of, you know, um, reducing estate tax at the first death, but really, it's, you know, long-term tax planning for the second generation. And, and so I think that, you know, the family testified and I testified credibly that this was a transaction that was meant as it, as it was structured. Um, in fact, it remains in place. We've, we've maintained the structure, um, as it was originally designed and, uh, that, um, uh, there was no like intention to surrender the policy. I also think it was important, you know, the internal revenue service argued at trial that I was somehow a promoter of tax scams. Um, and, but on testimony, um, you know, I said, this, this is something I've done four times because it has to be right for the family. You have to find the circumstances where it makes sense. And um, so it's not something we're out just doing it for doing its sake. It's it's a really good solution for a family that has these circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so when you're looking for a family that has the circumstances sort of for your next case, what are some of the factors that you look for? Well, I mean, one is the need for liquidity um, because of estate tax planning. Um, in this day and age where the exemptions are so large and also you can leverage S corporation um, pa or pass through entities to um, shelter just broadly operating companies, it really, really works well for real estate families. Real estate families who you know, regularly refinance to access equity to build their real estate portfolio end up with real estate positions that have negative capital accounts and need a basis adjustment at death. And so if you want to you want to mitigate their capital gain tax consequences of doing estate planning while they're alive, having an insurance policy, an insurance structure in place like this can really be helpful in terms of allowing you to get the basis adjustment and also mitigate some of the estate tax obligations. So that's one key thing. And then um beyond beyond um just the estate tax side you know i try to look at things from a succession perspective as well and um even if you're able to shelter um your assets from heavy estate taxes that would cause liquidity crisis you know this type of planning can in fact provide liquidity for families to consolidate uh ownership in family lines that may be active in the business and, and redeeming out people that aren't active in the business. So those are the two things that come to top of mind. But I'm curious, Jason, if there are other circumstances where you think it's applicable as well. Well, I think I think the reason that this was a successful case to Shane's point is the the, the family circumstances were such that this was an effective thing and a proper thing to do for them. It wasn't designed 
to, you know, you see a lot of these that are done where you dump a whole bunch of money in the policies and then the policies shortly thereafter are surrendered. And, and, and because it's a, it's a, it's a uh, an attempt to move wealth quickly from one generation to the other using this tool. And the one that this one that we did, it was actually like to change point. The children had estate tax liabilities. Mom had excess capital. Why wouldn't you want to try to help your children for the benefit of your grandchildren? So all the facts just worked out perfectly for it. Um, and I think that's why, you know, if you read that decision, which I would encourage everybody to do, it's so it was so interesting the way it was written. I think the court felt the same way. They thought this makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't they? This, why wouldn't the family want to consider doing this? You can see the motivation was not to get a discount in her estate. It was for other purposes. So, yeah, I mean, I made the point that, you know, the discount plays two ways, which is, you know, the, the note in Mrs. Levine's estate received a basis reduction. And so um, if you didn't do additional planning with regard to the note, at some point when the note was repaid, there was the potential that capital gain taxes would be paid. Now you can do planning to sort of mitigate that down the line as well. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not a panacea. It's, you've got to have it in the right circumstances where it's appropriate. So. Mm -hmm. Is there anything, I'm going to close with the same question to both of you, which is taking the experience you had from Levine going forward, is there anything that you would do differently? Jason, you said maybe not as much cash value, although flexibility is always a nice option. So you know, what sort of lessons did you learn from this experience that you would take into the next time you find a situation where it's a good fit? I think, you know, it was, well, one, the, the this process was very deliberate in how it was designed, and how it was structured. And, and what the long-term purpose of, of the plan was. Um, you know, looking back, you could say, well, we, we could have gone with the larger uh, death benefit plan as opposed to more cash, but that was not, you know, in our mind when we were, we were considering it. It was, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I guess when Shane and I talked about it, he said, knowing now what we know, we may have could have designed the policies a little bit differently, but we weren't thinking of that. We were we were wanting to make sure we got an effective way to discharge this plan, and we wanted to build the policy. So if we did need access to cash for some reason, we had it. But you know, I think that it was just to be very thoughtful about it, and very and and you know, the, it was a legitimate transaction. It wasn't something designed to be a, a, a pull one over on the service. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that the family recognizes that, and. Um, <clears throat> you know, both multiple times throughout the the litigation with the government, um, even though they were frustrated having to do that, as they would sort of pick up the plan and they would look at it, they would say, this is something that really makes sense for our family. And I've explained it now to the grandchildren and the grandchildren understand it as well. Um, to your question about whether I would do something different, you know, a year ago, what I would say is I wouldn't do economic benefit. I would do loan regime. Mm -hmm. You know, now... Um, as we see uh, interest rates rise, I haven't picked up and done the analysis to see if that changes my position or not um, on uh, how I would structure it. Um, you know, what I would say, what, what I want to clarify a little bit, 
at the time, we we took the Levines as we found them. And I think a cash-rich policy was the right thing for them because of who they were from an investor perspective. Um, but, you know, if, if um, and I've done this with other, in the three other families with whom I've done it, you know, where I have people who are quite sophisticated, um, we really do try to structure the policy where um, you're getting, um, we look at it from complete, completely from an ROI perspective. Um, for a lot of my families it, that have done it don't have uh, any concerns about liquidity because of other sources. And so you just, you take your clients as you, as you find them. Um, I will say just in closing, the one thing that I would absolutely do the same is, you know, work with Jason on, on things like this. This is, um, it's really helpful to have his expertise, both as an estate planner and also um, uh, a sophisticated in, insurance planner. There's a lot of people who um, I don't think would it, we wouldn't, we wouldn't gotten to the same destination if we didn't have somebody who was practicing at the same level as Jason is. Well, thank you. That's yeah, no. great. <laughs> it's true. Oh. Thank you both for this insight. It was a pleasure talking to you and um, thanks for sharing your knowledge and what you learned. For all of everyone listening out there, Jason and Shane are, are two resources that we have through our partners, Financial Connection. So if you're interested, you have a client that you think is going to be a good fit. These guys are guys you can reach out to and and you know pick their brains and, and leverage their expertise. So thank you both for your time today. And I would just say to up to back to Shane. Um, and I work. I've, I've had the opportunity to work with lots of people. I work with attorneys all over the country. And Shane is overly modest. He's one of the most thoughtful and creative um, uh, attorneys that I've ever had the privilege of working with. So thank you, Shane, for your your kind words and for being on the on the program. Yeah. Well, the, uh, some of the language from the tax court in the Levine case was a little bit embarrassing. And my team has put up a meme on my door mocking me with that language, but I can see it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye guys. <laughs>